This is Lori from Hike, sharing stories to inspire us to explore, wander, and live. A couple of announcements before getting into the episode. First, I just want to say thank you for listening. I know that your lives have changed a lot. Your routines have changed. And how and where you listen to podcasts are changing along with that. So I thank you for sticking with me. And I just appreciate you taking time out of your day to spend with me. I have another five-star review to share with all of you. This comes from Raphael Now. It's titled, Great Podcast. Thank you for taking us out there. Loved the last episode on the Wonderland Trail. I had been on a day hike to Mount Rainier and now have so much more information on the larger Wonderland Trail. Well, I am glad that you enjoyed it. And I hope that I get out to the Wonderland Trail later this year. Still crossing my fingers. So if you have a few minutes to go out and leave me a comment and rating, I would really, really appreciate it. You leaving a review lets other people know what this podcast is about and encourages new listeners to take a chance. So thank you. All right, on to today's show. So I had recorded this interview with Triple Crown hiker and groundskeeper Steven Snyder, trail name bangering way back in January. Gosh, that feels like so long ago, doesn't it? And obviously a lot has changed just in the last couple of weeks. It's changing by the day, by the hour. So before getting into the interview, I wanted to catch up with him. I wanted to see how things were going in in his area and to get his thoughts. You know, as an experienced hiker, I wanted to see what he had to say about what's going on with trail closures, about canceling through hikes, about his thoughts on trail angels and the community. So you're going to hear us chat first about all of that, and then we're going to dive into the original interview. I know you're going to enjoy both. So take a listen to my conversations with Steven Snyder. Yeah, so a lot has changed since uh, we spoke in January, and uh, most of it in the last few weeks here. Yeah, we uh, back when we talked, it looked like there was a promising through hiking season, and yeah, we're gonna get out there and clean up trash, and so it's all kind of been canceled. <laughs> yeah, so you're still you're still in Tucson, right? Still in Tucson, yeah. Okay, so was there any like start of a season for the Arizona Trail this year? There definitely was. There were uh, yeah. people have already finished actually. All right, so they were doing early um, some of those early, yeah, some of those early January, February starters have already finished, um, but the majority of the hikers barely even made it over Mount Lemmon. They had to bail when they got to Tucson with uh, all the heightened awareness of what we're doing with uh, spreading COVID. So when we were chatting in email, you said that uh, it looked like the state was was also going through. A lockdown. Um, I know we've been in Michigan here, where I'm at. We've been in a lockdown for a while of a shelter in place here for um, at least the next couple of weeks. So what's happening over there? Uh, well, actually, uh, just about an hour ago, our governor got on the news and announced that we are now in a shelter in place order here in Arizona as well. So, wow. Uh, since we talked, since we talked by email yesterday, it's already changed, and we are in lock, we are in a uh, shelter in place. 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so yeah. So when I reached out to you because I was, you know, saying, okay, well, I'm getting ready to put, you know, this episode with Steven and the groundskeepers out. And, you know, we, like you said, we talked about like hiking season and you doing some trail angeling and also, you know, all the things that, you know, you can do with, you know, picking up trash. And I, I was like, oh, everything has gone upside down. So I've got to just find out like what's happening. And when, uh, when I reached out, you had some, some really good points about how other hikers had been reaching out to you. And I felt it was important to share those. So that's, uh, that's why we're doing this. So, yeah, yeah. So let's, let's talk about that though. Let's talk about, you know, kind of this advice and, and, you know, what you had mentioned to me and, and like you had, you had put such, you know, good thought behind it. So that's why I was like, oh, I'm not going to read this off because I can't do it justice. But it was like the first point you were talking about is adaptability and trying to tell, you know, other through hikers that, Hey, most importantly, be adaptable. So let's chat about that. Yeah. So, um, what I always tell people, whether it's giving through hiking advice or, or, um, anything related to doing anything on trail is to, to be adaptable. And that couldn't be any more true this year. Uh, we're seeing all of these constant changes with great, breakouts of COVID in certain areas, um, especially out in California, local for me, LA County and Orange County and um, San Bernardino County are just blowing up. And um, it would be horrible to think that we could, because of our, our inability to adapt to the situation, we could bring those cases out of LA, out of San Diego County, and carry them up the trail to some of these smaller communities that don't have the type of medical care available to them that the larger cities have. Um, and that's, that's just a major concern for the trail communities. Um, yeah, I got to ask you opposite. about the community factor because, you know, I had seen some stuff before, you know, people, you know, saying, oh, well, the trail's the safest place to be. And, I, I'm not, you know, I'm going to be social distancing and I won't, you know, necessarily impact people, but, but that's kind of, you know, that's not a, a really a factual or, or true statement. And when you're talking about community and, and going through the, the trail towns and, and things like that. And you had just mentioned about the lack of, of potential, like true, you know, medical care out in some of these small areas or, or access to like respirators and ventilators and, and different things. Yeah, um, most definitely. Uh, these, these are little towns, uh, whether you're on the Arizona Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail or the AT, um, these are small communities that don't have access to that care. And it's almost like everything's been flipped on its head as far as the roles we need to play as a hiker uh, when it comes to our relationship with these communities. Um, most trail angels on all of these trails are elderly. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to carry these the we don't want to carry COVID out to these trail angels. So it's almost like our roles have been reversed. Whereas in a normal year, the 
trail angels care for us, we need to care for the trail angels and the communities that they're part of. That's a, that's a good way to put it. So, but also what advice do you have? Okay. Let's, let's just be realistic though. Even with all of this, there's gotta be, you know, there's some sadness, there's grieving, there's frustration, there's all different levels, you know, as we go through that process of, um, of our plans being, you know, changed. And, and I guess, you know, from your perspective, what kind of advice would you give to people out there listening? Um, well, I, I know for, uh, for myself, even though I didn't have any plans this year, um, I'm seeing a huge, huge, uh, change in the way people are socializing online. Um, the, they're, they're able to, uh, to focus more on the, uh, quality of the interactions they're having with people rather than the quantity. Mm-hmm. I know for myself, I've been talking to people, um, I haven't talked to in years, um, just making sure those connections are strong and um, reaching out for that social connection. Uh, as far as dealing with the grief of having to cancel a through hike, um, the trails will always be there. And I know that's not a great answer, um, but the trail communities need to be protected. If we, if we go out and we spread this to these trail communities or if we overburden the trail communities with our presence whenever they're already dealing with an emergency situation, they're going to remember that. Mm-hmm. And there are communities on long trails that don't like hikers. I don't want to see more of those communities crop up because we were so selfish and self-centered that we had to hike. I know it's hard to want to cancel a hike, especially when it's, it may be somebody's first hike. You've built all this hype up into it. You've gotten so excited about it. You've quit jobs, canceled leases on your apartment, put everything in storage. But that's just the name of the game. Sometimes you get out there and you sprain your ankle on mile four. It's, you know, it's, sometimes you have to go home. Unfortunately, yeah. we're all being asked to go home now. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that it's it's not just an individual thing right now. It's it's the whole, you know, community. And uh, and I think you made a good point of of saying, you know, as a community, we are, you know, we can make a difference now by caring for the communities that we go through, the trail angels that have taken care of us in the past and uh, and making sure that they're there for us next year and the year after. Most definitely. The, a trail doesn't exist without the community around it. We can't yeah. forget that. So what about groundskeeping? Are you, uh, are you going to be picking up in your local neighborhood and your local, you know, local trail? Oh, well, that's, that's where adaptability came into play yet again. Instead of getting out on the trails out here, which I'm, not sure a lot of them are closing down in the area here around Tucson, uh, especially the most popular ones. So trailheads are closing. You have no access. You've got to be creative with how you're going to accomplish the same mission. And so for me, uh, for instance, the other day I went on a, on a jog through my neighborhood and I picked up trash as I went. That's my new stress relief exercise routine rather than going out to a trailhead. Yeah, we're all learning to adapt. Well, definitely stay healthy, and uh, and I'll uh, 
I'll keep in touch and see how you're doing out there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, well thanks, thanks for everything. So thank you again, Stephen, for taking the time out to catch up with me and let me know how things are going out there with you uh, today in Tucson. So now I bring you our original interview and I'm really excited to share more about Stephen with you. As you could tell from our catch up, he's very passionate about the trail community, about trail angels and, and about leave no trace. So you're going to learn more about his hiking background, his advocacy, and just his thoughts on what it's like to be part of this great hiking community that we are in. So take a listen to my conversation with Stephen. I am here with Stephen Snyder. And uh, first, I guess, tell me, what's your trail name? Uh, trail name is Bangarang. All right. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, just a little bit of your background as we get into uh, the show tonight. Okay. Well, um, I... Uh... Basically, just uh, grew up in western Pennsylvania and um, did some hiking there in the foothills around Pittsburgh um, and just basically continued uh, doing that until I joined the military. Uh, when I joined the military, I got into a lot more hiking because I got stationed in Europe. So oh, I wow. Chance, yeah, I got a chance to hike in the Alps, um, got a chance to do some trails over in Europe, and that's what got me into easing into a more long distance hiking lifestyle. Um, started off with some trails over there that were like 200 miles long and got a taste for it. Um, the Eiffelstieg and the Vestveg are two amazing trails in West Germany that I definitely recommend anybody doing. Um, you get kebabs and a pub stop at pretty much every night on the trail. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> tell me a little bit of difference, I guess, the difference... Um in hiking in Europe um, versus trails here in the U.S.? Oh, well, it's more of a hostel and a stayover feel. Every trail over there is basically set up so that you end in a town every night. Um, you carry a little busy just in case, but it's an easy, you know, 13 to 20 kilometers every day. And uh, you end in a town at a hostel and you go to dinner in the local restaurant. Um, and then you just wake up and do the same thing. So it's almost like day hiking on repeat. Oh, wow. Uh, carry a slightly uh, larger backpack yeah. than a day pack of wood because you do have to have things just in case you end up. Um, but that camp. really encourages, I think, people to hike. Um, you're not having to, if you know, if it's basic, you know, day hiking compatible, you don't have to buy tons of gear and uh, yeah. can enjoy yourself along the way, like you said. Yeah, I was still definitely old school back then, though. I rocked a, an old uh, Kelty uh, Red Cloud pack, and my base weight was somewhere around 30 pounds. So <laughs> it was uh, still getting into it for myself. And I look back on those moments and, and wonder, how did you manage a base weight of 30 pounds with just emergency provisions? But, well, it depends you know, on what you consider there. emergency back then, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely big big change in the definition of what was necessary then to the, the hiker I am now. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that transition. So you were in the military, um, then you obviously came back. 
um, from being stationed in, in Europe. And uh, so when you got back here, did you hike a long trail right away or was there a gap in between? Uh, yeah, so uh, it was pretty much right away. I actually started uh, my first Appalachian Trail through hike while I was still in the military on terminal leave. So I was still collecting paychecks, but I had saved up enough leave to kind of exit early. And um, so my first two months on the Appalachian Trail, I was I was still a member of the U.S. Air Force. Um, but hiking a long trail, growing a beard, it was it was pretty great. Um, and that was that was my first experience with the long trail with the Appalachian Trail. So that was quite a a shift from hiking alone in Europe on these trails to being surrounded by this party culture. And so how did that? I mean, did you kind of immerse yourself into it? Was it you know a bit of a shock, or how how did you I guess adapt? So it was definitely a bit of a shock. Um, um, it actually resulted in me doing a flip flop because I felt too crowded by. This was back in 2014, so the trail was just starting to gain a lot of popularity. Um, so I ended up doing a flip-flop and doing 500 miles in the opposite direction, uh, just so I could get some alone time and kind of kind of phase into it. But then when I flipped back up to the spot in Pennsylvania, I picked as a midpoint. It was I was so badly wanting to re-immerse myself into a trail family. Mm -hmm. I have learned probably the most valuable lesson I've learned is that the trail doesn't make your experience. It's the people on the trail that make your experience. Okay. Interesting. You said, so that was 2014 that you did the AT? Yep. Okay. And so what came next? Um, I got stuck on the PCT for the next three years, uh, in 2015, 2016, and 2017. Um, I hiked on the PCT. During that time period, I only finished the trail once in completion in 2016. Um, and, but I've total added up between all my section hikes on the PCT. I've done it a little over three times in total length. So was that um, so I, the weather got, conditions or just kind of personal situation? What what kept you kind of uh, from completing Oh, um, I was attempting to go back to, to school, um, and okay. so I, I had a limited time period to do the hikes in, so I had to make the best of section hikes at times. Um, and then 2017, of course, was just a horrific year, and it was there was so much snow out there that it was uh, really hard to even find places to flip-flop to that you weren't post-holing through 10-foot deep snow. Um, but that was, that, was, that was definitely an interesting year. Um, I, I feel like I got a chance on the PCT to experience the trail in all three of its conditions. Uh, 2015 was a drought year, and 2016 was an average year, and 2017 was a snow apocalypse. Like it was just there was snow everywhere all along the trail from the end of the desert all the way to Washington in mass. So those three times, were you going northbound or? Um... Uh, 2016 and 17, I did flip-flops. But okay. 2015, I only hiked as far north to make it to Washington, and then trail funk took me off. Mm-hmm. So, so, but you've got the full, you did the full PCT throughout the the three years. Yep. Yeah. So you, you have that under your belt. And then did you also do the CDT? 
yeah, so in 2018, I did the CDT, um, it, purely northbound nature. Uh, it was a great year. Uh, Colorado had, I think it was something like 12 to 15% snowpack in the San Juan. So after an April 1st start in New Mexico, I got to New Me- I got to Colorado, and what would have typically been too early in an average year was just on time for when I got there. So I was able to walk directly through Colorado without experiencing too much difficulty with snow. I only put my crampons on once the entire time in Colorado, which is unheard of from most CDT through hikers. Um, for instance, last year, people were snowshoeing through the San Juans just to make it through. So I, I feel like I got lucky on that. Yeah, CDT. it definitely looked out. So basically then you have, you did your triple crown, right? You did all three. Yep, did all three. So when you, you know, in 2014, I guess when you set out and were doing the AT, I mean, was it a thought in your head? Like, hey, you know, I want to I wanna do all the three major trails or did you just kind of keep going and say, okay, what's next? Um, so, yeah, when I started, I was absolutely sure I wanted to be a triple crowner. Oh. Uh, if you would have asked me in March of 2014, I would have told you, yes, I will be a triple crowner. Uh, by August, when I finished the trail, I was convinced I was never going to do another long-distance trail. I was so tired, so mm-hmm. burnt out. Um, and then fast forward to the next March, and I'm on the PCT. So I started to get that yearning about three months off trail to push me back towards it. And I guess with that, the reason I took so long to even finish the Triple Crown was I enjoyed the trail culture on the PCT so much, I just couldn't get enough of it. It wasn't until Trail Angels started knowing me by name and <laughs> that it became an issue and they said, are you going to go finish that? So I went ahead and at the behest of some of those Trail Angels, went ahead and did the CDT with a little reluctance because it still intimidated me mm-hmm. uh, and went out there and just absolutely loved it. And it was the fastest and the easiest through hike I've done, which is not what most people say about the CDT. So that's interesting because I wonder if, you know, if part of your situation and kind of extending on the PCT was in a way kind of avoiding that last one. Um, do, yeah. you, do you think Once that? You what's next? Yeah. Yeah. But so you got that under your belt. You said it felt great. Like it was a, you know, a really solid, good hike. And then you accomplished what you set out to do, right? You know, you said in March 2014, you're like, I'm going to get the the triple crown. Was there, like, how did how did you feel once you stepped off the trail? Oh, well, it was, like I just said, what's next? Yeah. And no idea. Um, I had decided from that point forward that I was only going to let weather decide which trail I started each year. So, you know, if it's a big snow year in California, don't go start the PCT or maybe think about flipping your direction and going south. So that's kind of what my thoughts were coming off the trail. It was an extremely emotional moment actually finishing mm-hmm. the CDT and um, being up there at Waterton and standing on the lake. But then getting back into the U.S., it was it was it was almost like a I didn't have direction anymore. Nobody had laid out clearly on a map what was next. So um, yeah. So after that, you, did you take a little break? Did you jump back in? 
Uh, no, so last year or this year, uh, well, no, that's last year because it's January now. Um, so last year I did the I did about uh, 1,400 miles on the Appalachian Trail, and then once I reached Katahdin, uh, I didn't want to flip back down to Virginia where I started. So instead, I came out to Arizona and did the Arizona Trail southbound. So I think that's a kind of an interesting there because you're giving yourself that permission or the flexibility of, hey, you know, well, you've already done it for one thing, but you don't need to necessarily finish, you know, the one trail. You can do what suits you, I guess, for that moment. Is that what you were thinking? Uh, Yeah. And uh, at some point, my definition of success changed. And this is what I always tell aspiring through hikers on their first, second, third, even third trail. Um, Don't define success by some monument in the ground or some peak that you have to summit to finish a trail. Success should be based off of the experiences you had the entire summer, not just the finishing moment. And so if you're not feeling it, then change what you're doing. Um, And so for me this last year, I just wasn't feeling any more Appalachian Trail culture. So I decided to come to Arizona and have a more hike with more solitude, I had hoped, um, and head southbound through Arizona. That didn't exactly work out. I actually ended up making an amazing trail family out here on the Arizona Trail. There were about six of us traveling in a pack, and uh, that's unheard of for southbound AZ tiers um, to be traveling in packs that large. But just had an amazing time, and I feel like this last hiking season was an absolute success. So kind of, yeah, so it sounded like it really worked out for you. And you did mention how for you it was more about the experience of, you know, the the people and kind of who you were with and how that made, you know, part of the hike for you. So, so yeah, that's good. Yeah. So I know um, part of how I found you was um, I had reached out to find out more about the groundskeepers and uh, you were part of, you know, a group that has been, you know, part of that program. And can you tell me and the listeners exactly kind of what what is or, you know, what are the groundskeepers? What what is that all about? Okay, so uh, the groundskeepers were a program that um, we believe very much in uh, preserving outdoor spaces for future generations, uh, for future use. And so one of our biggest things, of course, is our trash tallies. Um, we pick up thousands of pounds of trash every year from long distance trails around the country to also um, local parks and recreation areas where we'll have groundskeepers who say are set up in a, you know, around San Diego and they'll go pick up trash on the trails, do local trail cleanups, get involved with trail maintenance groups and just work on continuing the beautification process um, that is part of the hard work that keeps these places well-maintained, um, especially due to an increase in the use of outdoor recreation over the last decade that we've seen. It's very important that we get that message out. And what attracted you to to be a groundskeeper? Uh, well, I was always kind of uh, one of those people that would try to leave a place better than I always found it. Um, And so when the opportunity presented itself for this groundskeepers program um, that I saw Granite Gear was rolling up, um, 
it was actually a friend of mine emailed me and said, hey, did you see this? You should apply. I looked over the email and kind of said, okay, cool. I'll do that when I get a chance. And then I noticed the next time I opened up the email, it was a day too late for me to apply. Uh. But I figured, whatever, I'll make a video. And so I actually sent in my application video a day late. And I was still selected as a groundskeeper um, in um, 2018 on the CDT. So you were doing it when you were actually on your through hike. Oh no, I was actually I was I was uh, between jobs at the moment, okay. um, and so I was traveling between jobs, trying to get my life in order, do all of that adulting stuff you have to do in between the hikes, um, and I just lost track of time with the two dates, and and ended up applying for it and getting it. Okay, and so. So you did that, was that for, you applied in 2018 for the 2019 year? Uh, no, so it was uh, 2017 I applied for it in the 2018 year. Oh, okay. So it's been around. How long has it was, been around? Has it been around for uh, a while? Well, yeah, it's been around um, since 2017 um, when our initial team of hikers uh, cleaned up the PCT. And uh, have a, got a lot of notoriety for some of the things they did. Um, they built a litter at one point and packed a mattress out of the wilderness that had somehow made its way back there and just did some crazy things uh, going above and beyond in order to make sure that they were leaving those places better than they found them. Um, so that's what started it. Grounds, uh, Granite Gear got really excited about that. Um, Rob, actually, the manager for Granite Gear, got really excited about the crazy things that you guys were doing and asked them if they can run further with it. And of course they were okay with that. So now we're this program that has anywhere from two to three dozen hikers uh, with hikers and padlet uh, people who paddle cyclists who are hopping on this train of trying to spread the word of making our wild places better. And that's a good point. So it's not necessarily like all long distance hikers, it's uh, all kinds of um, people who are in the outdoors. Yeah, most definitely. And, uh, you know, for myself, it's been long distance hiking for two years with the groundskeepers, but I'm making the transition this year where I'm our Southern Arizona representative, where I'm going out on the trails around Tucson, where I'm living and working and getting involved with the ATA, the Arizona Trail Association, um, trying to figure out ways that we can incorporate Groundskeeper into their current programs, kind of get that ethos out there of leaving it better and cleaning up the trails. Yeah, and I definitely, I got to give a shout out to the Arizona Trail Association because, yeah, they're pretty awesome. I was able to talk to Matt um, last season and talk about what they're doing and kind of the programs they have and, um, you know, even having hikers do trail maintenance out on the trail and providing them the tools. I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's, it's exciting to see, to see the, the ATA and all the work they do. And especially because they are a, a young organization just starting to get the funding and the personnel, local personnel and volunteers involved. And just to see how much they've grown, how effective they are. I mean, they're throwing up these wrought iron gates that you've seen those online. Yeah. I did see that. All over the place, and they're so beautiful. Um, 
So you got to tell me a little bit about your experience. I mean, since we're talking about, you know, the AZT and, and, you know, tell me about your experience on the trail there and, and how was it for you? I, it was a great experience. Um, it was cold at first. <laughs> when you start South Town, definitely uh, have proper sleeping equipment. Uh, me, myself and my hiking partner were a little short on that. So we actually had to buy a, a fleece blanket at a little gas station on the North Rim. But um, yeah, and then walking into the Grand Canyon for the first time, I had never been there, um, partially because I just had missed it. And I've also created a rule now that if there's anything amazing I have to see, I have to do it by foot. Um, just a personal thing. And um, so that was amazing to see the Grand Canyon firsthand experience from from a walking path. And then uh, just the the amazing Sky Island traverses you have through the middle and lower parts of the state um, just takes you through some of the most diverse uh, desert environments you'll experience. Uh, the plants change every mountain range that you go over. You get a new cactus or two every time you go over a path. Um, and then as far as my own personal experience, when I got lucky and got a really great trail family, so that just made everything better. And so they were all going uh, southbound as well? Yeah. Typically in the fall months, uh, people will go southbound because you kind of walk into winter in the uh, Sonoran Desert down here. If you started northbound in September or October, it would still be pretty hot around Tucson. So most people start on that rim and come south, kind of close the season on the Grand Canyon and try to run away from any snow that might be coming at you. Interesting. So you've done all that. And then as part of actually hiking, were you, were you collecting then trash along the way? Uh, yeah. So anytime we'd see anything along the trail, uh, we would pick it up. Along the Arizona Trail, it's mostly just the water caches uh, not being properly maintained by the hikers themselves. And so we would have a couple of empty gallon jugs strapped to our backpacks until we got to the next to the next trash can um, but the trail itself was relatively clean um, there were maybe a couple of times when you're walking through old ranch properties that you see things but at that point it's hard to tell what's archaeological mm-hmm. archaeologically significant and what's trash so so you mean like sure. like if you're seeing like a rusted out you know kind of buckets and different things and um, what what would be an example of that, I guess? Yeah, it, exactly that. Okay. Um, especially if you're walking through an old homestead or an old ranch, you'd see, you know, maybe some old iron ties that were used um, in the building process of one of the buildings, or you would see, just like you said, a, a rusted bucket or oil can or something mm-hmm. like that. If it's been there for a certain period of time, the land management agencies um, consider that archaeological evidence. And so they don't want it to be removed. So yeah, I can understand that. Kind of the that. line you have to draw. You have to look at it and say, is that, is that old or should I take it out? Of course, most of the time the trash you encounter is a, you know, crushed Coors Light can of trailhead. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's new. Take it. Do you, do you feel like, you know, as a through hiker, but also, you know, packing out other people's things, were, were you seeing other through hikers, you know, whether they were on that trail or following you or day hikers or whatever, um, 
did you see that impact or were you able to feel like you were connecting and kind of showing like, Hey, um, just because I'm kind of worried about pack weight or, or whatever, as I'm trying to be efficient on the trail, it's okay to also, you know, pick this, this stuff up. Yeah. Um, actually that's probably one of my favorite aspects of being a groundskeeper. And one of the aspects that I did not expect is that, um, it's contagious. And so I've had multiple times on long trails where people knew I was a groundskeeper, knew I was more or less, um, quote, required to pick up the trash. Um, though I did it out of my desire to make, leave things better. Um, these people would run up to me on trail, uh, 30, 40, 50 miles down after I had not seen them for a few days and show me the trash they collected and brag about it. Um, and that was the best part is the contagious factor of what I was doing and how I was not just impacting my hike, how I was impacting other people's hikes to leave it better. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty big. I mean, if you think about it and, and you're seeing that firsthand, you know, let alone how everyone, you know, on social media is, you know, seeing kind of you, you know, like you said, a couple dozen um, ambassadors basically kind of spreading the word. Um, so whether you're close to a groundskeeper or not um, physically, you can still be inspired to pick up the trash at your local park, your local trail. Yeah. And that's the most important aspect of our program is 36 people can't do it all. Mm-hmm. And so it needs to be a contagious effort. Um, and it needs to be a contagious message that we get out to everybody uh, who goes out to the places that they cherish and adore. So did you did you actually I know you you have something that I think weighs the trash you collect. Did you add it up or do you know how much you collected at all through the year? Yeah. So we uh, we run a spreadsheet behind the scenes and each hiker reports updates to how much trash they carry. Uh, most all of us carry some form of scale, uh-huh. um, like just a luggage scale that we can throw all the trash in our tough sacks and weigh it when we get to town before we throw it in the trash can. So is there a little like friendly competition between you guys? There definitely is. Um, there are some people who go way out of their way to make sure their numbers are always number one. Um, we had one member this year that's already made a commitment that they want to pick up a ton of trash, literally 2,000 pounds of trash is their goal for the year, which is very, very um, aiming for the sky because uh, most of us, um, it's a collective effort. Most of us don't top even 200 pounds of trash. Um, it takes a lot to even start to get there. Mm-hmm. Now there are random interjections like, or injections to those weights. Like uh, for instance, I packed out a tire one. That definitely added a lot of weight how, to my tally. How long did you have to hike that out? Like how, how long were you carrying uh, It was that? eight miles. Oh my gosh. That, that is Luckily, a weight. I mean, yeah. Luckily, I was coming to town, and my pack was almost empty, so it wasn't really that much. It was just awkward. Yeah, that doesn't really, you know, it's a tire, so it doesn't really, like, fit well. Um, Yeah. But, so, 
what I guess what are some of the things since you've been with the program now for a couple of years what what are you you know bringing away from it personally is there anything that you've learned along the way um really that it it doesn't take that much effort or time to bend over and pick up a wrapper when you see it micro trash is one of the biggest things we pick up off the trails for sure um and with on that same note, you know, it takes a second to bend over and pick up a wrapper. It also only takes a second to make sure that when you're putting your candy bar wrapper back in your hip belt pocket, that it's secure in there. You know, um, being more aware of what you're doing and how it might possibly impact um, the surroundings as well um, is an important aspect to keeping these places beautiful. So obviously you had some sacks with you. And um, I know one of your fellow groundskeepers, you know, Brittany Freeman is always, you know, she's talking about the 11th essential and, you know, basically, you know, taking at least like some type of trash bag or component with you to, to collect things along the way. Um, What are some tips that I think you can give just anyone who is out on the trail, some kind of basic guidance of what we all can do every day? Um. Well, exactly like Brittany says, um, just make sure you have something that you can contain the trash in. For myself, it's always, um, being in Arizona now, I have this large collection of grocery bags, whether I want them or not, they bag your stuff here. <laughs> um, and so um, I just make sure that next to where my day pack hangs in my apartment is a bunch of plastic bags. And so when I leave and I'm grabbing my headlamp and I'm grabbing my water bottle, the plastic bag is right there with everything else in line, and it's just another thing I throw in my bag. So that way, when I do get that really nasty uh, mildew-filled filled Coors Light can that I found on the trail, I can put it in my bag without thinking twice about it. It's protected. Um, so whether that's a stuff sack um, with or just a plastic grocery bag, just make sure you have something on you. Uh, for you to be able to contain contain any of the trash you might find out on trail. What about, are there some partner organizations you had mentioned, like the Arizona Trail Association? Are you guys trying to also kind of get with local agencies to, to do cleanup days or, or different things? What kind of uh, events uh, do you participate in? Oh, yeah, uh, most definitely. Uh, if you research no matter where you live if you go talk to a state park or a local park um, they will likely have some sort of volunteer uh, event listing down on paper somewhere down on a calendar Um, get involved find out what these organizations are and go do it and if you can't find an organization to go do it uh, you would be very hard pressed to find any state park ranger that would stop you from picking up trash by yourself so you can get out there even without these organizations another great uh, time of the year it's already passed but national trails day there's always a project out there Um, that's sometime in i think september um, that you can get out and do trail work projects and clean up projects um, typically with forest service or blm or any state or um, federal land management agency. So when you, um, you know, you did that part of, you know, you did the through hike and 
of the AT in 2014. And then you said earlier last year you went, you know, did what, 700 miles of it or how many? Uh, 1,400 miles 1400. Yep, 1,400. So did you see a difference in kind of the level of trash or I'm just curious if, if you had seen a change, better or worse, and, you know, the same? Um, there was definitely a difference uh, this year as there was in 2014. The trail's gotten a lot busier. Mm-hmm. Um, also, not just from through hikers, um, but just recreating in general. And then you go ahead and you create this system uh, of shelters that it's easy for people to camp at. A lot of shelters are less than a mile or two off the road. So you end up do getting a lot of trash uh, brought into these shelters, uh, lighting the fire pits with items that people thought were flammable and then they weren't. So that's a great spot where you can just fill up a grocery bag with uh, the trash you find in the fire pit and pack it at next road crossing. The nice thing about the Appalachian Trail is a lot of the road crossings have available trash cans. So you're never carrying trash very far. Did you also feel the need to speak up when you were seeing people kind of not adhere to leave no trace? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you have to approach it um, kind of tiptoeing mm-hmm. because people get offended that you're indirectly calling them a litter bug. So, um, you know, you just have to, I find it's easier when you're speaking to people on trail about any topic, whether it's uh, their, you know, gear questions they might have, uh, body care and self-care or trash. Um, make recommendations or suggestions or, hey, in the past, this has worked well for me, um, rather than calling people out directly in a negative manner. Um, I like that approach because you're not being confrontational and hopefully you're also getting through to the other people who are, you know, educating them along the way and uh, being helpful. Yeah. Yeah. People don't respond to negativity, especially when they're out recreating. So very important to maintain a positive outlook um, when you're, you're dealing with people who may not be treating the outdoors quite in the same um, way that you would. So right now, you said you're in Tucson. Are you thinking of hitting up a certain trail in 2020? What What's next of, of what's on your plate for this year? So uh, in 2020, my plans are to actually stay and work. It'll be the first time in six years I have spent a summer anywhere other than a long-distance trail. Um, but I'm hoping to get myself a little bit more financially established. I've been living in a van for the last three years, so um, that was kind of taxing on myself. Um, and I'm not I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm 35 years old. My body's starting to break down from these long hikes. So I decided it was just time to settle in for a hiking season. Um, I'll be offering... Trail Angel services to anybody in the Tucson and Vale area on the Arizona Trail. And um, when I say settle in, uh, I also have hopes and aspirations to uh, putting something out near the Arizona Trail for hikers. Uh, This is way off, so nobody get excited now. Uh, It's way off, but I have plans to put something out there and maybe establish myself uh, here on the Arizona Trail 
as a permanent fixture, a, a trail angel out here. Okay. Well, no, that's pretty cool. So you said you're going to try to do at least a, a little bit of, of trail angeling, right? This, uh, this year before you do something kind of long-term or, or permanent. So what are some of the things that you think you want to, to help provide? Um, so I'll be mostly just providing shuttles to and from Vail and Tucson area. Okay. So Vail is a suburb of Tucson, and that's where the trail runs through. It's relatively easy to get rides into Vail or Tucson itself if the getting back out part. So I want to provide that possibility for hikers if they want to get out um, the next morning uh, that I'm the, the guy they need to call and I can get you there. Luckily, I work uh, most of the evening at this point, so I'm available uh, throughout the morning to help out with that. Um, also, anybody coming into the area that just has general questions about the trail or about uh, long-distance backpacking, definitely they can hit me up and ask away. So how can people reach out to you to ask you questions besides, you know, those who are going to be actually on the trail and in the area? What if they're kind of prepping and wanted to, you know, either one of the trails that, you know, the long trails that you've been on or, you know, going to Arizona? What are some ways that they can connect with you? Uh, well, the easiest way is just to message me on Instagram. Um, my handle is at Bangarang Hikes. That's all A's and Bangarang. And just message me on there, and I'll get back to you with whatever questions you have. Okay, excellent. And I'll put, uh, obviously, the link to your Instagram as well in the show notes if people want to directly cl uh, click on that, and they can you know, easily then get out to your Instagram account. So I really appreciate your time this evening and telling me more about what you've done and, of course, the groundskeepers and and definitely just some tips for, I think, for any of us, whether we're, like you said, just recreating, doing a, a short day hike or, you know, a weekend getaway. There's lots of ways that we can all make a difference um, just in our local communities. Awesome. So thanks again for listening today. If you want to connect with Stephen and also connect with the groundskeepers, just take a look at the show notes and I have links to both. And I really hope that you think about how you can leave it better than you found it. So until next time, I'll see you on the trail. <laughs>